0: Scottish Mortgage seeks out lateral thinkers like academics, authors and experts in the industry to shape our investment ideas. Not the usual suspects and narrow mindset of financial analysts and investment industry commentators. That way, we continue to build a portfolio that reflects real-world progress, not financial world noise. Scottish Mortgage is managed by Bailey Gifford. A key information document is available by visiting baileygifford.com. As with any investment, capital is at risk. Hello,
1: my name's Jeremy Gordon and welcome to the Funds Fanatic Show. I'm very pleased to be joined on the podcast today by Dominic Scriven, a pioneering investor in Vietnam. Dominic is the founder and chairman of Dragon Capital, the oldest independent asset manager in the country the group runs vietnam enterprise investments limited a 1.4 billion pound investment trust which pretty incredibly has been going since 1995 dominic good to speak to you again welcome to the podcast
2: hello jeremy good um good morning to you good afternoon from here very great yeah. pleasure to be on the show
1: yeah i should say well th- thanks for making the time uh, i think it's 6 p.m on a, on a on a friday in vietnam
2: well nothing more important than work is that
1: <laughs> well arguably um Okay, well, so um, let's get started. You, you moved to Vietnam in uh, 1991. Um, you know, as a society, how's Vietnam changed in the 30-plus the years that you've been there?
2: Well, that's an interesting question. I mean, it's obviously changed a great deal. I mean, if you look at numbers, the population's gone from 66 to 100 million people, um, you know, which is slightly more than a million Growth in the population every year, and all of what that means for the workforce. Uh, incomes um, <clears throat> have gone from a rather ludicrous and speculative $227 per person per year in my first year here to um, hopefully $4,500 per person per year this year, which means that Vietnam ends, exits the group of low-income countries, per the World Bank's definition, becomes a middle-income country, albeit at the lower level. You know, so that's great for Vietnam and its people. Yeah. Um, In other ways, I mean, I'm talking to you from the 69th floor of a building in Hanoi. Um, You know, nobody could see more than really two floors when, um, you know, when we started. So it's grown in many ways, not least upwards. But, you know... In in so many senses, um, it's still the Vietnam that that, you know that people would recognise from then, with with uh, strong family traditions. The the interpersonal relationships here still are of enormous importance. Of course, they are everywhere, but you know, in 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 a rapidly evolving um, society where you know institutions are are slow to develop uh you you know interpersonal relationships have a have a higher priority and i i've always found that a a great aspect of life here uh you know both both in in the workplace but also outside the workplace you know so many many things haven't changed we could talk about um you know changing household structures you know the the you see this a lot in east asia the or, and in South Asia, of course, where you get multiple generations living together. And, you know, that's yeah. beginning to break down and so people living in single units. But anyway, it's been, it's been a lot of change, but the key parts still remain the same. That's why I'm still here.
1: <clears throat> okay. And what about, you know, as an investor, how has it changed?
2: Well, if you take a snapshot when we started investing the there was a, there was a company law in 1992 my first year here which was 22 pages long and it was absolutely silent on the on the the notion of foreign investors in vietnamese companies and so every investment we we had we made w- was an exception and we needed to get an exception from that the highest level of the executive basically the prime minister's office and there were no markets now of course you know there are Fifteen hundred listed companies, uh, public companies. um, You know, there's tens of billions of uh, dollars of foreign investment, and and the the markets themselves are are fifty percent of GDP, which is sort of two hundred twenty billion dollars. And people can buy and sell. So you know, the that sort of aspect has changed a great deal, and it's brought with it a lot of the you know the positive developments and also the challenges of becoming a a modern economy. I'd stress here that, of course, you know, modern economic Vietnam is um, is really only thirty years old. Modern Vietnam per se is fifty years old, and indeed, this year Vietnam celebrates fifty years of diplomatic relations with with Britain. So that's course, a cause of great celebration in in our sort of bilateral life. Yeah, um, but but in economic terms, it's really thirty years and. And and all that's happened, so it's one generation. So companies, for example, are getting to the stage where uh, you know succession is an issue, and so you know family businesses are going. Well, you know, mum dad are saying, "Well, kids, do you want to take them over, take it over?" Or or or, do, or the kids often aren't interested, and so and so that becomes a an entry point for you know strategic investors, and many of those are foreign. So it's it's quite a lively an interesting period but a lot of the the aspects we meet are, are happening for the first time so there's an element of learning about something new uh and 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 that's that's a challenge and a reward really and vietnamese don't flinch from the challenges
1: yeah and you um i mean so we we mentioned uh your firm runs about five billion us dollars of assets uh but the best known fund is uh this investment trust vietnam enterprise investments limited also known as Vale, it's London Stock Exchange ticker. Right. I mean, so how did you, a British guy, come to set that up in 1995? You know, it seems a potentially outlandish proposition. Um, well,
2: I didn't really. I I was trained for a, for a few years in 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 investment management, and I I you know didn't know anything else. And I'd finished my studies. I I went to Hanoi University to learn Vietnamese, and I'd finished my studies and running a bit low on cash and needed a job and there, there weren't a lot of jobs and so it seemed like a you know um it it didn't seem foolhardy, it seemed like a bit of a challenge, but it seemed seemed like a natural thing to do, try and start a fund. There there were a few funds here. Um uh but but we started out with the idea of you know engaging with Vietnamese companies. There weren't very many and it was difficult as I mentioned and all of that. But but you know clearly in um in most countries you want to do business with the people of that country who understand the environment and have the businesses and who can sort out the problems and, you know, you try and provide value to them. Uh, But I I do remember the, um, you know, there's no sort of, there was no shares really. Um, There's certainly no market. So I remember the first marketing trip I did was, was actually with a whole bunch of large laminated photographs of the businesses in which we, you know thought we might invest yeah um, you know a, a honey business a slipper manufacturer um an aircon assembler uh, a bank these sort of things that, and wandered around with with a big laminate you know that wasn't quite the prospectus that wouldn't have wouldn't have worked even then um yes. but you know and, and and then you know offer letters went by fax and all that sort of thing um in the middle of the night yes yeah, so uh so it was it was it was a it was. It was a. It was a wonderful. It's been a wonderful journey, really. I wouldn't. I wouldn't question really any of it. You know, there's been bad moments, challenges, um, but it's generally been a good journey for Vietnam, and you know, we've been with Vietnam, so it's been not a bad journey for us.
1: Yeah. And, and what? What do you hmm. wish you'd known when you you set up the fund, or, or, or you know, has it been such a kind of unpredictable experience that that question doesn't quite apply?
2: Well. I've never really felt that the direction of the country was in question, frankly. I mean, it's difficult for us now to, to, to cast our minds back. But in the early 90s, um, the, the framework of Asia was what you'd, ha- you'd, have, um, you'd have 15 years of Deng Xiaoping in China. So things were really beginning to motor. There. They didn't actually have you know, big open markets in China then, not until a, a, quite a lot later. Uh, but but clearly, you could see where, where China was heading, Deng Xiaoping, you know, it, it's not important um, whether the, the, the cat is black or white, so long as it catches mice, that sort of thing, to get rich is glorious. And then you had um, Korea and Taiwan, who just moved from sort of, you know, martial law, really, to open and democratic countries and were opening up there. Economies and markets, and then you had Southeast Asia, which was really sort of doing the same. So, it would have been quite bizarre for Vietnam not to uh, follow the same sort of track, particularly given its um, its its state of impoverishment and you know lack of friends um, after uh, you know in that period. The Soviet Union was really was really Vietnam's only friend, and of course, the Soviet Union in the early nineties was 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 um, was was imploding. So the direction has not really ever been in in doubt. Um, the timing, most certainly, has been. Uh, it's been very very difficult to predict what would happen when, and so uh, you know one's had to build in um, a, a great store of resilience and patience, and also temper one's ambitions. And that's a good lesson in life, I think. I think for everyone, but it's certainly been true. But I mean, I suppose to answer your question, you know. I thought, okay, we we start dragon and we'll sell the business in three years and go and lie on the beach. Nobody told me <laughs> that wasn't gonna happen.
1: <laughs> Fair enough. Well let well let, let let's come on to today. Um so um Dien Vu, uh, the main portfolio manager of Vale, whose name I've probably just mispronounced, no, uh, said in a recent update um Last year's precipitous market decline largely tracked increased global risk aversion as the Federal Reserve aggressively raised interest rates. Now, you know, buried within that quote is the fact that it was was a difficult year uh, for Vietnam's stock market and and for Vale last year. Um, But as well as uh, those global factors, there were also some very specific Vietnam issues, right, particularly to do with corruption and and financial markets. I mean, can you can you talk about that bit and those challenges?
2: Yes, I can indeed. you know, my my sort of in a, in a nutshell, I think um, what what happened was that from when the market started in 2000 until sort of 2010, i.e., their first 10 years, you know, the equity market and the debt market as well, but the equity market certainly were were also rands. Nobody really paid any attention, and then in the early teens. Um, you know, 2012, 13, 14, the markets began to grow and by 2019, and then particularly into 2020 and 2021 over COVID, um, you know, the markets had had shot and they'd become, you know, two thirds as big as the banking sector. And um, the lack of attention from policymakers, legislators, regulators and the lack of resources, frankly, Uh, you know, the markets running ahead of the capacity to regulate. Suddenly, people looked around, they went, geez, these markets are big, we need to have a real close look at what's going on. And they identified, um, you know, a a couple of, you know, sort of banner instances, really, of of market abuse. I'd, I'd say, in in one case it was market manipulation and it, in another it was um, misleading information in in offering documents I mean at the end of the day and uh, <clears throat> and the regulators came down very hard and of course the market is overly retail in its participation and retail investors you know often don't have the the perspective of, of, let's say, institutions. And so, um you know, a, a lot of people were given a, a very severe shock. <clears throat> I think the.
1: So, retail investors were worrying the whole thing might collapse on a house of cards, there might be widespread frauds and that kind of thing.
2: Well, not knowing where it would begin, and where it would end. Yes, I, I i think that's right, Jeremy. Yeah. I mean, in, t- in 2021, I don't have the numbers, 22, the yeah. total. Um, volume of the market in the year was 93% retail investor. Okay. So institutions have, play a very very small role. Um uh, obviously including us. Uh and um and so it is a disproportionate size of course that speaks itself to the you know the the the, the uneven nature of market development. But I think our view on this would be um, uh, uh, you know, would be you. You you can't have market. You know, markets where there's abuse are are not properly functioning markets. So, essentially, what happened was right, and uh, I don't think this is. Uh, you know, some people have talked about some massive c- crackdown or the rest of it. No, I think basically people, but you know, arguably a little belatedly, um, the relevant authorities are tackling. Uh, things that have got out of whack, so you know, sentiment was hit um, uh, for sure, and and um, and you know, we need some time for that to recover. But it's essentially that the right thing for the for the for the future of of the markets and for the future of capitalism in Vietnam. Of course, it is. Yes.
1: Yeah. I mean. Uh- you know these issues went very high up i mean so the boss of the uh, ho chi minh stock exchange has been dismissed for serious violations i i say in air, air quotes i mean what what gives you confidence that the worst is over
2: well that's a good question and um uh let, let's just let's just talk so last year there were essentially um four incidents so the first to which you refer, Jeremy, is a clean out at the market regulator, um, you know, for for reasons that have been alluded to, but haven't yet been addressed in a proper judicial or, or regulatory, um, you
1: know. OK, so it's not it's not entirely clear yet what happened.
2: No, no. Well, I think most of us know, but the right. charge sheet hasn't yet been formally tabled if you know okay. what i mean At the second following closely on that was a case of uh, manipulation of shares in one you know group company um and that was followed by um misleading information information in a in a bond issuer of course not related to the equity market but related to retail investors and then that was followed towards the end of the year with a um a sort of bank real estate group, um, you know, really pulled up for the for the same set of issues of misleading investors. And, um, um, you know, as we come into this year, um, you know, there, there's been a couple of issues that have happened this year. In the early part of the year, a couple of deputy prime ministers resigned. And then, of course, most recently, the president has retired early and but, right. but but those are, are different those are not related to the equity markets those are essentially related to um issues that arose during covid of um of um, artificially inflating the uh, prices of covid test kits and um and uh, and irregularities in arranging repatriation flights the people and both of those two aspects you know those those hit at the heart of the of the people and their experiences during covid which as we know from everywhere not least britain that are you know extremely sensitive issues the the, the recent people who who's you know step retired resigned um they're not charged with any direct um involvement but they are being held accountable that stuff happened on their watch. So I think if you put all of these issues together, you can pull a common theme, which is that um, the you know the political structures in this country are not you know are demonstrating a very low level of tolerance for abuse of position and abuse of responsibility for both um, uh, acts of commission an acts of omission and uh you know it's quite it's quite rigorous but you know if you're if you're a if you're a Vietnamese person on the street you're probably behind all of this
1: okay Mm. and I I I, I better just ask so were you uh is Dragon Capital uh, you know an investor in in kind of I mean, you mentioned one firm with a dodgy bond issue. You mentioned some some banks caught up in this. Were you an investor in any of these companies?
2: No, thanks for asking, because I can clarify that in in none of those instances were we anywhere close in any of our portfolios. Um, of course, that doesn't exclude the fact that, you know, issues may pop up in the future. And a lot of what we, you know, we need to be, you know, eyes out um, and in the back of our heads you know not just to um uh, what what what's going on elsewhere but what's going on between other people that might affect us yeah yeah uh, uh and um you know it's quite it it's it's conceivable that um there'll be aspects in fact i'm aware of a particular issue at the moment that might involve us uh you know making a disclosure about an investigation going on in a company in trading in a company in which um, we are we 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 were also a, a holder, but none of this is um, is anything Sorry, can, other can than you the explain, ordinary. Can you explain
1: that. That sounds quite. Interesting. Can you explain that a bit more? Sorry, that's to do with market manipulation of a, a company which you also happen to hold.
2: Yeah, yeah. So I can say this, and we're we we're, we're we're live on on the line. So I'm you know I'm I'm b- being very straight up. Um, Jeremy, I, this has happened today. Wow, okay. That, um, some of our funds traded in a stock last year and um, two shareholding groups battling over control of that company. Um, one of them appears to have uh, raised the issue that, you know, trading by various people, including um, ourselves, was um, irregular. Oh, right. So... So we're, I think we're we haven't got there's no investigation into Dragon. Let me hasten to add, but but the issue has been raised with a broker with whom we were dealing, and so we need to be you know on our um, uh, you know on our toes in in getting to the bottom of this. It's not it's not big trading. It wasn't a big holding. It's a publicly listed bank. Um, uh, but it, it looks like we may have been um, a little bit. We, we may have been a, bit, a little bit of collateral between two two opposing parties.
1: Right. Okay. What's the so the this bank?
2: is this is. Um, I, I think you know. Reference one of your earlier questions. This yeah. is the sort of stuff that that can happen here.
1: Yeah.
2: Mm. I mean, I guess it can happen in other in other places as well. But it can certainly happen here. It's part of the you know rough and tumble of trying to be an investor.
1: Yeah. And what what what's the name of that bank? Are you able to say that or not?
2: It's. Um, EIB is the is the ticker mm. um, which is Exim Bank, which is, is quite a big bank. Uh, there were two groups um, looking to um, looking to take control of the bank and neither of them could because there was a foreign strategic sh- shareholder and the foreign strategic shareholder sold um, I believe to one of the groups and um, so that opened up. Um, that that made the decision in terms of who controlled the bank.
1: Okay, well, it certainly and- sounds like one to watch there, Dominic. I suppose, you know, there'll be people who say this all sounds uh, like very risky stuff. You know, is this all part and parcel of, of running a, you know, a single single country frontier market equity trust? You know, I suppose, what why do you feel that people are, are compensated for the risks that are clearly involved here?
2: That's a very good question i mean one of the one of the points i'm at pain to emphasize and my colleagues I think share this is when you go to present to investors it's very important that investors understand um, the nature of the investment with which they're being presented so for example um, you know risk averse or indeed investors Without a time horizon, um, would be best advised, you know, to to treat somewhere like Vietnam quite quite carefully. Yeah. But um, you know, I mentioned at the, at the beginning the journey's been essentially a good journey, um, and it has. So, I mean, we had a bad year last year, but beginning of last year, you know, Vale uh, was showing a twenty, uh, you know, it would have been twenty one year return compounded net of everything of 12 percent a year and you know that turns one dollar into about 12 dollars yeah and so over the long term the returns are you know rather lower than perhaps some of the other people who've been on your on your show that's a that's a good long-term track record and that's really what we aim to achieve so you know a lot of the a lot of our work we're an active manager, of course, and a lot of our work is engaged not in looking for extra returns, but in being aware of where risks can occur and trying to, you know, manage out the risks and let the sort of growth take care of itself. Yeah. Because so in an ETF, let's say, you know, a passive structure, there's no co- – the, the, the risk is really related to the, you know, market cap weights and the, um, the tracking errors and the trading ability. It's not what I would call more qualitative type work, most particularly in governance, but also, you know, in in other areas as well. So that's that's an absolutely key part of our DNA. I mean, I always, you know, people talk about ESG. I always say, well, you know, everybody in Dragon is a governance warrior. They have to be. They just can't be in the firm if they're not. It's Mm. the, you know, the E&S is where is where there's a bigger bigger learning curve these days. But governance, you know, sits there. So um uh, to 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 you know to wrap up your question, maybe uh it would be wrong to I it would be it would be I think it might be the wrong way to look at me and I'm saying I'm gonna buy in January and sell in June, you know, right. because because US there's gonna be a US recovery. No, it's because, you know, of long term shifts in the in the the global trading markets it's because of you know long-term Vietnamese productivity it's because of um urbanization and industrialization and and institutionalization you know in a soft sense so grow you know the development of the rule of law you know i was at a thing at lunch today with with a a fellow from the national assembly the national assembly is a is a is a is a law the lawmaking institution it's gone from nowhere to being you know one of the four key pillars of of vietnam's government structure, governance structure it is a really wonderful thing to see and so you could i mean maybe I sit here and i see it every day so you know but but it's a journey it's absolutely a journey and i think the i can understand why you you'd ask that question um and you know and i hope um you know i hope time will show that this has been putting things right rather than undermining things and making them wrong.
1: Yeah. Thanks, Dominic. Maybe we can ask one more big big picture question before you give a bit of a, a flavor of what's actually in the portfolio. Um, you mentioned shifts in kind of global trading patterns. Um, you know, th- there's been a lot of excitement about Vietnam and Vietnamese manufacturing uh, as companies try to shift s- supply chains away from China. Um, you know, Particularly, you know, since the pandemic started, since trade tensions with the US ramp, you know, ramped up. I mean, how is that trend going? And and, you know, specifically, uh, were you disappointed by Apple's decision to uh, to uh, ramp up uh, iPhone production in India rather than Vietnam recently?
0: Maybe we can start with that
1: one, and then you can talk about how it's going generally.
2: Extremely distressed, Jeremy. (laughs) Anyone else get any of the pie? Uh, No. And of course, what you refer to was was quite well covered by The Economist, wasn't it? A couple of weeks ago with some articles on Apple. So Apple's responding to, um, I suppose, you know, conventional economic pressures, isn't it? But it's also a very good example of the global um, you know, to geopolitics and what's going on. And that's, yeah. you know, that's, that's more than my pay grade. But, you know, what one sees in Vietnam is that, um, if you look at the numbers, you know, Vietnam has a, a monstrous um, trade deficit with China from whom it imports all sorts of things. And it has a stupendous trade surplus with the US about the same size. And, uh, you know, clearly what's happening is that people are relocating from China and that's allowing them to continue their So what they're doing is they're slightly adjusting their supply chains in regards to Apple. Um, yes, absolutely. There's been some great publicity about um, Apple moving to India. But, you know, Apple's also in Vietnam. Apple suppliers are one hundred and sixty thousand people in Vietnam. Half of Apple's, um, you know, uh, pods will be made in Vietnam this year, and half, um, half of
1: the, Air, the the AirPods is in the Air yeah,
2: wow. yeah, and of MacBooks, um, we we recently heard that Apple expects to sell twenty four million MacBooks this year, and eight to ten million of them will be made in Vietnam. So you know, I, you'd be you'd be greedy to expect all of that yourself, but I think Vietnam's getting a you know a reasonable a reasonable share and of course that's being you know that's being um echoed everywhere else because f- foreign investors have been that not new they're huge um you know the the hotel in which i'm staying at the moment is owned by a branch of the samsung family the biggest foreign investor in in vietnam um uh, and and they've been here and others have been here for many many years the first you know, banner investor. I would think is is Puyen, which is the biggest um, subcontractor for Nike. Nike makes more than fifty percent of its clothing in Vietnam uh, now. And so, but what what's happened is from the sub subcontractors, you're coming to the subcontractors, and then you're coming to the contractors, right. and then slowly, you're beginning to see the brands themselves set up their, you know, their regional. Uh, sourcing rather than it being in Shanghai or, you know, in Bangkok or, or Hong Kong, Singapore, whatever it is, you know, they're beginning to get confidence because you can, you can locate here. You, people can educate their kids here. You know, it's a safe place, you know, all of that stuff, there's availability of people. So actually the, the net value add of global trade per dollar of trade is a, accreting slowly into Vietnam rather than away. So, I, I, you know, that's that's a sort of predictable trend, you know, so long as Vietnam keeps its nose clean and does the right thing. um, It's a predictable trend and it's a welcome trend.
1: Okay. Um, Thanks, Dominic. Well, let's come a a bit more onto the kind of flavour of the portfolio type question. Um, You know, you've mentioned those layers of contractors, -contractors, subcontractors, sub-subcontractors. Um, Something we've discussed before, it's it's quite hard to invest directly in that manufacturing growth. So, you know, what are the key drivers for for Vale's portfolio uh, as it stands today?
2: Yes, it's damn difficult to invest in the global manufacturing chain, as you say, Jeremy, you know, because that's private. And, you know, who knows what sort of transfer pricing is going on. And so... You actually want to be quite careful, I think, where you where you enter that supply chain. This was true in China, of course, until, um, you know, Chinese policymakers were and also, of course, the domestic Chinese capacity grew to the extent that, um, you know, foreign brands were able to. Contract directly and substantially with Chinese entities, and then those Chinese entities could act—you know—could enter the markets. So we we've got that same trend going on here, but the um, the manufacturing sector is still not yet well represented in the public markets, not well at all. So I think we play that—you know—for example, if we play um, global trade, you know, our holdings would be industrial zones. Um. You know, ports, shipping companies, yeah, obviously, um, uh, logistics companies. Um, you know, transportation, air freight's a big thing. Um, and then, and then we'd play um, sort of more indirectly. So, for example, if you have one hundred and sixty thousand people working indirectly for Apple, you know, they're earning incomes. They need bank accounts. They need to borrow they might need to borrow it, buy a home they're certainly going to spend more on beer and you know buy smartphones and um uh you know maybe maybe go on holiday and they'll have families and they'll want to educate their families so there's a there's a vast ray of of of, of sort of indirect plays these we would center and if you look at the markets you can see it there's sort of two core areas one is Stuff related to real assets, so that's um, housing, shopping malls, apartments, um, infrastructure, roads. Yeah, um, uh, that that sort of thing. And then, of course, you've got
1: uh, and car. you and you've got a developer like Vin Homes in your top ten holdings in Vale, right?
2: Yeah, indeed, that's the biggest developer in the country. Yeah, absolutely, the biggest developer of, ho- of ha- housing in the country. Very successful. They, you know, to, to give a flavour, I mean, when they. You know, when they, when they start one of their big developments, it's got 20,000 units planned in it.
1: Okay, so right. So large 20,
2: scale. 000. Yeah. So I think what you need. You need schools and healthcare and transportation, bus services, you know, supermarkets, convenience stores, restaurants, leisure. You need infrastructure, roads, shopping malls. You know, you need phew, the lot. And, and, uh, and this is happening, of course in in all three regions of the country the north the middle and the south actually interestingly you know the south has for many years been the runner and picks up a lot of the early investing in from from hong kong and from taiwan and there the were people from you know the early people from japan and from korea but if you look at what's going on now it's all happening in the or well, largely i would say happening in the north where you've got of course um you know, a much simpler issue for people moving their supply chain. If you're in in you're in Guangdong province, which is that big province south of China, of a hundred million people, and next door to Guangdong province is northern Vietnam. And so, you know, most of the Chinese miracle was initiated in Guangdong province. That's where Deng Xiaoping visited in 1979. And so people are, you know, for them the issue is. Can I move a hundred kilometers? You know, for right, people not- who still eat the same noodles, it's you know, and believe in Confucius, get out of bed at the same time in the morning. It's it's um, it's it's not diff- you know. People sometimes I mean, ask yeah. what, why you know why aren't why aren't people rushing to Bangladesh? Well, some people are moving to Bangladesh, but you know, viewed from that lens, people don't want to go from Guangdong to Bangladesh. Um, you know necessarily unless there's a good reason there's a skill set or a cost base or an opportunity there
1: yeah and i think maybe before i cut you off you're about to come on and talk a bit more about financials i think ah yes yeah, sorry and how that's uh, the other key area yeah, yeah, so, of, of growth. so so yeah. the, the
2: the 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 real the real type things absolutely jeremy thanks and then and then the financial so you know real estate related and, and, and housing and urbanization rate is probably a third of the market and, a, and a, another third is maybe slightly less in each case is is really related to financial services so you know in in the last in the last um, eight years we've had um you know uh, the the opening of consumer finance model you know credit cards as a model car hyper car financing as a model mortgage markets picked up. And we've got, you know, people experimenting with fintech. So you've got the whole new ways of people interacting with their, with their, you know, with their financial providers. So there's lots of different models going going on there, and there's there's lots there's lots to to study. Because when you when you look from the outside, you go, oh god, this is a, you know, where's the where's the, uh, you know, the four point zero and the and the, uh, you know, the digital economy. And you have to actually look into the companies and see how they're using it there's a, there's a couple of tech companies one of which is a great long-term holding fpt for us but f- fabulous company um uh, but then and then and then you look at things like f&b so f&b is viewed as as sort of um uh you know conservative and it has its its place quite highly rated but <laughs> obviously a play on the on, on the long-term term growth of the, the consumer market, and then you've got energy and materials, and that sort of um, makes up the and transportation really that, that sort of makes up the, the market. But but the, you know you've got you've got to have a view on the uh, on the real estate related and the financial sectors because that's like over fifty percent of the market. And so that would be your first questions you ask yourself when you when you build a portfolio.
1: Okay. Well thanks very much Dominic. I think sadly, you know, I we could probably speak a lot longer but that's all we've got time for today. Um so yeah, just want to say well thank, thanks very much for joining me on the podcast and speaking um uh, you know uh, so candidly uh, about uh, you know Dragon Capital and what you do.
2: Jeremy, you're very kind. It's been a great pleasure. It it always is. Thank you very much. And I wish you and your listeners um a very happy year of the water hair, which has just begun some people call it a cat and some people call it a rabbit it is in fact a water hare because it's my year and I know it
1: excellent well, well, well thanks again Dominic and a, and a happy year of the water hare to our, our listeners too and please uh, look up for more podcasts from us soon
0: Scottish Mortgage seeks out lateral thinkers like academics authors and experts in the industry to shape our investment ideas not the usual suspects and narrow mindset of financial analysts and investment industry commentators. That way, we continue to build a portfolio that reflects real-world progress, not financial world noise. Scottish Mortgage is managed by Bailey Gifford. A key information document is available by visiting baileygifford.com. As with any investment, capital is at risk.